tell you what hasn't changed. I think it's the fundamentals of hiring a person is still the core of the business. And while the firms have all gotten larger and larger in, uh, over the years, I still think that the more sophisticated clients don't hire the firm, but hire the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And what they're looking for are still the fundamentals. Hello, and welcome to the Law Firm Intelligence Podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Griffiths, Executive Director of the International Lawyers Network. And I am really excited for our guest this week, who is Lowell Lifschultz, who is the founding member of the ILN uh, back in 1988. Lowell has semi-retired from the practice of law or fully retired from the practice of law, but he's going to give us the dual perspective uh, this week, which is the lawyer perspective as well as the client perspective, because he's still working, but he gets to give us both sides of, uh, of that perspective um, on the pandemic and, uh, and some other stuff. So Lowell, we're really, really happy to have you. Thank you for joining us. And why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now, now that you're not as involved with the ILN anymore, and, uh, and we'll get into talking. Thanks, Lindsay. This is really uh, going to be fun, I think. Uh, I retired from the formal practice of law. I was uh, a corporate partner responsible for corporate practice at Epstein, Becker and Green. And some time ago with Lindsay's dad uh, helping, we began building the ILN. And now I think you have 70 members. How many members do you have? Uh, 91. 91, 71 some time ago. And how many lawyers do you have? About 5,000. Wow. Yeah. So we began this with two firms, three firms, 10 lawyers. And thanks to Lindsay and Alan and a variety of other people, uh, the network has grown as, as she points out. Um, it, when I retired from practicing, uh, I, I had really had a wonderful career. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I loved the clients. I loved solving problems. And I think many of you who are listening in enjoy that same part of the job. Uh, since then, I've been doing a lot of private equity things and venture capital things and investing in businesses with groups and independently. And we've been hiring lawyers. So for the first time in my life, uh, I've thought about the hiring process from the point of view really of the client. And that I think might be helpful to some of your members to hear that out and how I think it's changed over the years. So that would yeah. be a little better what I talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I think especially the practice of law has really changed over probably the last 10 years, especially. Um, and so I would definitely be curious. I think a lot of our, our listeners would be curious to hear what you think it means now for, you know, both in on the inside and the outside, um, of what it means to uh, to hire lawyers. 
So I will tell you this, I'll tell you what hasn't changed. I think it's the fundamentals of hiring a person is still the core of the business. And while the firms have all gotten larger and larger in, uh, over the years, I still think that the more sophisticated clients don't hire the firm, but hire the lawyer. Mm -hmm. And what they're looking for are still the fundamentals. Obviously, they want their lawyer to have a basic uh, legal understanding and a knowledge of the issue that's at hand. But fundamentally, they also want these characteristics. They want that lawyer to have good common sense. They want judgment. They want all the kinds of things that went into a liberal arts education kind of. And not simply, not simply uh, the regulatory environment or the principles at law, but real judgment applied to their problem and an understanding from the lawyer of the issue from the client's perspective. I think that's still the same. And to the extent you're highly knowledgeable and know the area, but you don't have those kind of qualities, those human qualities, I think you still fail. So when we, you don't succeed, you don't still fail, you don't succeed. I think so then when we hire someone, we're looking for a knowledge base, obviously somebody smart. If it's a litigation, you're not necessarily looking for the toughest person in the world. You're looking for a person who understands leverage and how to exert it, but you're looking for someone with real judgment. So I, I think you come back to the fundamentals. I don't think they've changed so much. Do you think that is something that can be taught or is that something that is more honed through experience that someone maybe comes into the law with, but they gain that through the experience that they get through the practice of law. I think you'll get it uh, from a good mentor. I think you'll get it from a culture within your firm where that becomes important. I think you'll get it if you're open to the outside world. And uh, I think all of those characteristics, and I think there may be some people who are more intuitively inclined mm -hmm. to understand that issue than others are, but I think they're fundamental to your success as a practicing lawyer. And we look for it all the time. Yeah. And then I'm wondering, I know, you know, the way that young lawyers are being trained these days is changing a lot. And I think the pandemic has had a really big impact on them because they're not getting that opportunity to even really find those mentors in the firms because they're having to work a lot on their own and, and be at home and, and do remote learning um, in a lot of cases. So how do firms and lawyers find that talent or support that talent in a way that's necessary in order to help them grow and become those types of lawyers that clients are going to be looking for in the future. I think I think you're right that the pandemic has made that more difficult. And what's also made it more difficult is the specialization, right? So if you're a young lawyer at a big firm, boy, you might find yourself in a very narrow area. And it's very hard to broaden the set of skills we're, we're talking about, you and I are talking about, in that environment where you may not even see the client 
but where you're writing brief after brief or memo after memo, and where your work to some degree is impersonal. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think that's really hard. I think the best thing you can do is get lucky. And lucky when, and you can't minimize the significance of luck, lucky with your mentors, lucky with the kind of case you have. And then I think you have to be somewhat aggressive, but it's difficult to do. And I think that may be one reason that a lot of young people don't like the law that much. The practice of law is tough. You get paid pretty well, you may get paid pretty well, but you may not have the ability to work with folks that are otherwise uh, important to you. Should I try to shut off that phone? No, that's okay. okay. <laughs> I think that that is uh, relatively important. I don't have any solutions for that. I actually used to recommend to um, young lawyers that they read a lot about the world, that yeah. they read the New York Times, they read the Wall Street Journal, they read uh, what's happening. And they have some understanding of that as it applies to themselves and it applies to their clients. Mm -hmm. What's the environment like? What is the circumstances like? But having said that, what you see is, and what you've seen over the years that you've been managing the ILN is certainly a consolidation of big law firms. Oh yeah, They get larger and larger. I think the middle market client has difficulty finding a place unless they come to you and they come to the ILN and they come to the kinds of members uh, of the ILN that we have. But I think that you see consolidation, which means greater, greater specialization, less and less of a human contact. But I'm still coming back to the original point I made, which was that almost irrespective of the matter, almost irrespective of the matter, you still care about who the lawyer is, the person is, who's mm -hmm. gonna represent you and do they have good common sense as well as knowledge of the area that you're involved in. Because judgment calls are gonna come into play every single day. But you see changes all around you. For example, uh, because of the pandemic, you have an acceleration of, um, uh, an impersonal deposition. There was a time when the deposition, all the lawyers were in the room, the witnesses were there, you spent the day back and forth, the stenographers there, she or he is taking notes and it goes on and on and on. Um, today you're finding out through Zoom and other mechanisms that all of those witnesses and all of those lawyers don't have to be in the same place and they might even be able to do this without a stenographer at all with through ai and other right. kinds of uh, uh, systems uh things are getting recorded they get redacted and then they get placed in a certified uh, transcript and people move on their way you could have a expert who's in timbuktu no longer just in new york if you're in new york and you can hear what they have to say and so forth and so on. So you see all kinds of areas where consolidation goes on and where um, the larger firms get bigger and bigger in their billable hours or extensive for every young lawyer and the hourly rate is huge. Their overheads are very big. So then you take a look at, 
And these are the kinds of lawyers that uh, I use. Then you take a look at the kinds of firms that are in the ILN, right? So you've got a lot of, I won't say, I'll say middle market law firms. Mm -hmm. The human dimension is much more important. Mm-hmm. Where you don't have the, the the bank hasn't called you to handle ten thousand cases all involving blah 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 blah. Where right. you're not defending a class action with plaintiffs galore. You're but you're rather involved in a more um, human kind of dispute or issue or settlement or negotiation. And there again, I think judgment comes into play. Yeah. That's a little bit of my experience today. Right. Well, that's very helpful. And I, you know, I think I know the answer to this, but do you see those sort of virtual depositions and the other types of virtual events that are taking place that have become part of the law now continuing now that we know that we can do them? I really do think it will continue. And I think that we'll go back to, I think we miss being in contact with the other human beings in the same room. I think yes. we miss that. But I think you're gonna find that lawyers can work from any location and often like to. So maybe they'll come into the office once a week or twice a week. So what I've found in our the neighborhood we live in, we live in Westchester County, that, and there are lots of lawyers who live in our community. And lots of lawyers moving to our community. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to go to the office and they don't want to. Yeah. Um, so I think they'll come back to the office environment, but just for the camaraderie of it. And I think to meet people uh, and maybe to get out of the house and not have to watch the kids in the same kind of way that they're doing now. But um, yeah, I think it's changing all around us and, uh, and that'll happen. So. Yeah. Uh, I'd ask you this question. Okay. So the ILN, right? In terms of how the firms operate, how have you seen a substantial change over the last number of years? Oh, um, I mean, this year alone, I know there's been a lot of discussion about uh, real estate, especially. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing about that has been that culture plays a big part in that. So for some firms, they've said, you know, we're absolutely going to be going back to the way that it has been. And we plan to be 100% in office. And for other firms, they've said, we've realized that remote working has holds a lot of attraction for us, and we can reduce our, our footprint, which will have an impact for our overhead. And, um, and we're going to think about our real estate going forward, which I think is, is really interesting. I think, you know, a lot of firms are, are looking in that direction too, not just um, ILN firms, but other firms as well. Um, so that's been really interesting. Um, but I think that's, and I think that going forward too, will have an impact on lateral hiring and firms bringing in lawyers from all over um, the world and being able to have people in places that they may not have considered before and to hire for talent and not just to have somebody that can come into the office locally. Um, but I, which I think will then have a secondary impact on culture because obviously um, you, know, you have, have that impact on whether or not someone fits in with a firm's culture and you don't really know unless they can come into the office and, and participate in that. Um, you know, I've been, I've been talking to a number of um, uh, senior lawyers, managers at, at 
middle market firms. And what they've said is they have some surprising savings on uh, revenue. So the lack of travel, the lack of dinners, the uh, fact that in, people don't go to the doctor so much so that they not they don't have the medical expenses that they want. So, and the real estate issue to the extent they are renewing, I think the law firm's position on real estate may change to the extent they have either a long-term lease or a short-term lease. Right. <laughs> if they have a short-term lease, they're less apt to uh, decide that everybody should be back in the same kind of office with the same kind of office configuration. So I think that happens to some degree. Um, but I also think one of the things with consolidation that goes on, which I think makes it makes it one of the reasons why you hire the lawyer and not the firm, is that the firm no longer has the stability that it once had. Yes. In terms of being the real home of a lawyer for 20 years or 15 years or 30 years. The firm becomes a platform. Mm -hmm. And that you use that platform as a lawyer coming in as a lateral or otherwise for a period of time. And then circumstances change and people switch platforms all the time. I was talking to a uh, managing partner at uh, a 1200 person firm. Wow. He said that they have turnover of about 25% every year. Wow. Right. And I don't, and it's a good firm and it's a substantial firm. I don't think that's so unusual anymore. Yeah. And I think that that's happened, maybe not 25%, but it's happening all around. So I think what does that mean for the consumer? It means for the consumer that, gee, I'm going to hire the talent and it may not stay at the same place forever. And I'm not going to necessarily hire the same firm for all things. Right. And I'm going to move around a little bit until I find the right person to work with. Right. And I mean, depending on especially the type of business you're in and the type of, of protection you need for your different matters, as you said, the personality of your lawyer matters a lot. And if they know your business really well and your tolerance for risk, um, you know, you're not necessarily going to stay with the firm if, especially as you say, if the turnover is as high as 25%, that, you know, say every four years, you're getting a new lawyer who has to learn your business every so often, that's just, it, it doesn't make sense for, for a business owner. So. And I think, I think that the whole environment of, and maybe some of your listeners understand this better than I, the whole environment of eating what you kill is has gotten more and more perverse in a way mm -hmm. and uh, becomes an element uh, that one thinks about. And so one tries to build their own practice. I think one of the great things about middle market practice, which the ILN really reflects, is that you have less of that. And yes. that, you know, and you're really trying to uh, build a culture for each of these firms that has some coherence and it's small enough that you can actually uh, don't have that kind of turnover and where the people have a sense of, of belonging together to an entity. And I think that probably uh, is important. I, I'll, I'd add one more point. I think that there'll always be middle market clients. Mm -hmm. 
and therefore the largest firms won't be able to meet their needs. There'll always be a need for middle market law firms to service those folks. I think that's true. Um, and you know we've certainly seen that. Um, I'm obviously biased because that's who I serve, but um, you know we've seen that to be true. And and I think you're right too about the lower turnover among um, middle market law firms because I think the way that many of our firms have created their their firms and their cultures, they do really create that sense of loyalty and and a home for their their lawyers and their their partners. So. Um, you know, we don't seem to see as much turnover among those firms. But I do, you know, I have a pretty wide network um, on LinkedIn. And I see, you know, sort of January 1st, a lot of new, um, new job announcements. And uh, it is really interesting to see that turnover happen at the beginning of the year and throughout the year, obviously, but January is just a time you really notice it. You but know, one of the things we always tried to do from with the ILN from the very beginning was build a cohesive relationship amongst the firms. Mm -hmm. So while it looked like she was a little bit of a great opportunity to spend time socially together in a wonderful location, what you were really do, and we, we did that, and you still do it, I think, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's in London or Paris or in uh, Australia or in Singapore or Hong Kong, wherever it might be, uh, you're spending time building relationships among senior people at the firm so that there's a culture of cohesiveness whereby when you move one matter from uh, team A in New York to team B in Australia in Sydney, that that can be as almost seamless and that there's a continuing relationship that makes that matter uh, the, make the two firms treat that matter in a very similar way. I think mm -hmm. that happens. And I think that probably still happens with you, uh, Lindsay, in terms of building that social coherence, coherence yeah. that really allows the firms to deal with each other, not simply at arm's length, but on a continuing basis and on a personal basis where everybody and their wives and their, I shouldn't say their wives, but their spouses all get together in a very social environment. They know each other, they care about the children of each other. Mm -hmm. And you, how often do you get that in a culture that's very different than the one you come from? Right, right. Well, and you know, your point is, is a valid one because I think, you know, when you do get together with people socially, sometimes it can feel a little bit like a boondoggle, but the, the goal really is, as you say, to develop that cohesiveness so that when you do either have those one-to-one -one referrals or you've got a matter where maybe you're working together with a couple of firms, you, you feel like you're working together with a colleague so that you know each other well enough that, you know, in, their, in some of these multinational firms, they may not know their colleagues that well in an office in another city um, but in the ILM they do because they've spent so much time together and um, and that's really one of the hallmarks of of the organization is how well they know each other uh, office to office um, whether or not they're part of the same firm which mostly they're not so um, that's been a really huge benefit for the members of the network uh, we went to kind of a reunion when your dad retired in Milan mm -hmm. and we hadn't been there for a number of years and you see the same folks uh, they're happy to see you, or at least they appear to be. And you're <laughs> certainly happy to see them. 
And you talk, what do you talk about? You talk about a little bit about the practice of law. Mm -hmm. Talk to you, where are your children now? How are they? Where do they go to school? Uh, are they in the United States? Are they in Asia? Mm -hmm. what, what's happening? Uh, what's the social environment? Uh, let's go for a bike ride. Let's have a drink. Let's get mm -hmm. some bubbles. And a, a little of all of that makes this more cohesive and it certainly makes it much more enjoyable and i think that's a pretty unique aspect of the network from the get-go from the very beginning yeah yeah and we've been lucky that you know even given the pandemic and not being able to see each other in person that because of those relationships and everyone's willingness to put the time in, even with our new members, we've, we brought in a new member firm in Australia in the middle of a pandemic, never having met them in person, everyone's been willing to jump in on Zoom calls and Zoom get togethers of, of a number of different kinds and, uh, and get to know each other really well and have conferences and it's been, uh, it's been very successful. Um, so we've, it's been over a year since we've all seen each other in person, um, but it's managed to work really well. And we haven't seen a drop off in referrals at all, which is incredible. And, um, you know, it's been, we've managed to hold it together very successfully, which really says something about the strength of the relationships of the, of the network. So I think that's a good thing. I remember being in Sydney, and I would only suggest to your members who are listening to this call, that they should put a little pressure on you to have another meeting in Sydney at the right <laughs> here. It's a great place to be. And Bundy Beach and the Manly Beach and all the good places where you might want to go for a, a, a beer or some mussels or whatever, all good things. But that leads to, especially because those lawyers stay in those firms for a very long time, generally, mm -hmm. that leads to uh, building those relationships long-term. Mm -hmm. And if you refer a matter to someone who you're going to see repeatedly, there is a much greater likelihood, human beings being as we are, that they'll do a good job of it. And that they'll see it from the perspective, uh, your perspective, your client's perspective. It's not a one-off, one-and-done but rather it's part of an ongoing relationship. So mm -hmm. I think all of those things make the ILN a little more successful than, than just a group of law firms that get together every once in a while. Right, right. Yeah, it's a much more vibrant organism than a directory would be. Yeah. So. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, one other question I was thinking about when you were talking before about, um, you know, the high billable hour for some of the larger firms. I'm curious if you think that now that clients know that all of us can work together um, remotely, if you think that clients will start to put pressure on firms knowing that they can maybe make some real estate changes to lower their billable hours. Um, and maybe reduce their overhead in that way. I think there's lots of pressure on law firms to be more efficient. And that's what you see. So when uh, no large corporations don't just have general counsels anymore. No, they of course have, not. They have legal procurement officers right. who aren't necessarily lawyers who right. are really focused on maintaining uh, control of financial control 
of what goes on at, for those corporations. Mm -hmm. And you may not see that as much for a middle market law firm, but you're seeing pressure. So when the hourly rate for a partner at a big firm is $1,200 or $1,300 an hour, and then they bring two young people with them and you're thinking, my God, how does this all play out? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that becomes a, a real, uh, a real problem. And then you say, well, gee, can a middle market law firm, whether in New York or somewhere else, right? Because somewhere else might be able to be helpful at a lower hourly rate help us get through this. But a lot of it relates to not just the quality of the lawyer, him or herself, but to the efficiency of the firm in handling the matter. How many lawyers, how do they handle these things? How do they do it? Uh, how will it be affected by it? Even going back to the example of the deposition. So the stenographer is incredibly expensive. Right now, if you only have one case, I guess that's okay. But if you have lots of cases and lots of stenographers, and you could cut the cost by two thirds, wow. and of course, gets that cost gets passed on to uh, the client. Yeah, what can you Big do? It? So I think you're going to see changes across the board because that those hourly rates are so high, and a few matters really can demand it and and justify it, but a lot of things can't. Right, right. Large corporations are saying, you know, uh, for the 10% of the things we do, maybe. Right. Not for, the rest, not for the rest. Right, right. As you say, it depends on the matter and, and the, what they really need out of it. So. so when we hire somebody for a middle market matter, we will look to see how they're going to staff it, how heavy a pencil the lawyer actually has, Mm -hmm. uh, how it will get done, what kind of research gets done. We'd like to know a little bit about the research, if you have to do it, why you have to do it, uh, who's doing it, uh, how accurate is it, and all that kind of stuff. So we're even uh, looking in what are relatively middle market issues uh, to see how that expense is being applied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's probably standard for most clients these days. Um, you know, trying to figure out why certain things are being done and do they really need to be done? Because everybody's, as you say, even before the pandemic, everybody was looking to cut costs. So. Mm -hmm. so, so here's the one thing I do know. I do know that if I ever had a matter, there's only one place to go. And that is the ILN. And <laughs> what I used to actually do with your dad was uh, I would call your dad and say, gee, if we do have a, uh, a mat, we have a matter coming up in some jurisdiction and who at that law firm is, I shouldn't tell the secret, but who at that law firm is really good could help us with that matter. Mm -hmm. And your father would spill the beans. Right. So, and I bet you do that too. Yes, <laughs> that's true. That's true. We. We shouldn't play favorites, but we do. <laughs> I mean, you have to, because as you say, it's, it is about knowing, you know, who has certain expertise in certain oh. matters and, you know, who is really good. Right. But yeah. And now we're, we are working on turning that institutional knowledge into actual search functions. So we're, we are working on that. <laughs> right. That's great. If you can do that, that'll be wonderful. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. That's our, that's our goal for sort of the end of this year, because I think that will be much more helpful than just having it, you know, up in our heads. <laughs> and I know you've also kind of compartmentalized groups within the network. Yes. So you have a tax group or you have a corporate group or you have an employment law group, you have mm -hmm. different groups that meet together and then again, build bonds between the people in those groups yes. to work together. Yes. And they've been great, especially this year, you know, with, um, with needing certain expertise uh, for the pandemic, like for example, our labor and employment group turned out some really fantastic short pieces of it, of um, advice that went out really quick um, that was targeted at certain issues that were coming up during the pandemic. The corporate group put one out on force majeure. Um, same thing, you know, just really like one page summaries from each jurisdiction that people were asking questions questions on. And that one out was widely distributed. Um, that was very helpful. So um, those groups were, were working really well together um, in the past year to just try and, you know, add value. And that was helpful, you know, not just for from the client side, but also for the members, because they were getting questions from other jurisdictions from their own clients. So they could say, you know, here, this is helpful. So um, that was a value add to the membership too. So that's, you know, that's a way that the groups are working well together as well. Even uh, many years ago, uh, we were doing some work for IBM in New York, and they had issues that span the globe a little bit. And we were able to find the appropriate real estate person in each of those. It was a they were real estate person uh, in each of those jurisdictions to kind of help them out. It was really mm -hmm. impressive. Yeah, real estate is uh, the number one group in our network. We have the most. The, our firms have the most real estate coverage uh, of all the firms in our network. Right. Yeah. Corporate being number two. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a real pleasure and I really appreciate it. Uh, Lindsay, it's always great seeing you. Uh, Lindsay told me today that it's her dad's birthday. So That's I'm right. call him <laughs> he will really appreciate it. <laughs> great talking to all of you. So thanks so very much. Thank you very much. And for all of our listeners, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we will be back next week with another guest. Thank you so much. Bye, Lindsay. Real law firms, real intelligence.